podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Hello, you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the independent Derby County podcast, where we also start slowly, but we get there in the end sometimes. Uh, I'm Chris Parsons. Thanks so much for tuning in to another podcast as the Rams have still not won a league game since the opening weekend. But with me, as always, keeping his chin up is Richard Kutcher. Hello. And insisting the glass is half full is Tom Martin. Hi there. So Steve Bloomer's Washing, as you all know by now, is partnered for the season with our friends at Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. Plenty on the itinerary for Podcast 62. Uh, those very, as two very contrasting one-all draws in Derby's last two games. More five-word reviews off of Twitter. Uh, Derby's mic drop statement last week in response to Steve Gibson suing the EFL. And a new game, chaps. A new game. I'll continue doing this daft trivia nonsense until someone tells us not to. Um, but Derby have at least stopped the rot since our last episode. Two games unbeaten. Thank you very much. Um, but the most recent of which was Leeds United 1, Derby County 1 this weekend. Uh, I think it's fair to say Philip Koku can expect a visit from West Yorkshire Police sometime soon because that was... An absolute robbery. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself, to be honest. I think before we get on to talk about an uh, excellent, excellent last-minute equaliser, I think it's fair to say and admit that we were absolutely battered yesterday. And Leeds probably deserved, to, well, definitely deserved to be at least three goals to the good at half-time. But it was, you know, you stay in the game and you've got players like Chris Martin on the pitch, then you've always liable to get a goal. Conversation that we were having while watching the game was definitely... I can't believe we're still only 1-0 down here, but equally, all it takes is one opportunity and one shot on target to score a goal. Like We saw last year that Casilla, their goalkeeper, was a, a little bit dodgy and he came for a cross about five minutes to go and he got completely underneath it and we had a half chance. And then when Martin gets free in the box, he, he buries it quite nicely. So, yeah, I agree. Totally undeserved point. Daylight robbery. I mean, Leeds had far more shots, more possession, missed a penalty, uh, generally had us pinned back for the majority of the game. Tom, can you recall a more unlikely away point that we've got in, in recent memory? God, no, I, I don't think I can. Um, it's not the sort of thing we tend to do, really, do we? With the, the games that we're expected to lose, we usually just do lose. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm just trying to drag back some of the memory to maybe Nigel Clough time when we used to sort of batten down the hatches and go for a nil-nil, and, but that's how we set up to, to play. Whereas, I mean, Derby did try to play last night, well, yesterday, sorry, Um they did try to pass the ball, but Leeds were just better than us. Whereas I think under, under say, Clough, uh, we'd often be like, we'll defend and we'll go long and try and hold the ball up and then get players in and around. And that was maybe the time when you'd last see a point, which was a, a real sort of gritty fighting hanging in there by the, the skin of our teeth. I mean, Leeds have got form for this kind of match happening. You know, they, they, they do dominate teams, they do batter teams, but they don't put them away. They don't put teams to bed. They're not clinical. They haven't got that 25-goal 
striker that's going to finish teams off and, and getting the goals that their all-round play deserves. So the longer it went on, you just felt, and with what happened last season, you just felt we did just need a chance. And we did start to get the ball in their half and to create half chances, as Tom said. But the leader's strategy appears to be kill teams in the first half and hope we get away with it in the second. And it's not working. Credit to the Sky Sports commentators because when Leeds missed the penalty, he did actually say, do you know what? I can think I can see a sucker punch coming here. And then when Chris Martin scored, he literally said, what did I tell you? I think you've you've echoed what I've got here, Kutch. I mean, the problem Leeds have had, their Achilles heel, which Bielsa openly admitted last season, is because they take too many chances to score. In particular, Bamford takes too many chances to score. I mean, if some of the responses we got on on Twitter, that you know, if Bamford was in any way more clinical, uh, got to give him some credit. He was involved in the goal, uh, won the penalty, rightly or wrongly, but he had two decent chances to put it to bed. Um, he wasn't the only one, but he hit the post from close range. And they missed that penalty as well. Um, and... We've had at least a couple of games this season where we were cursing our luck for not putting teams away, for saying what if this happened, that happened, we'd have X many more points. Penalties may not been scored. But this game definitely wasn't one of those games, was it? No, I agree. I think we, we did ride our luck totally. Uh, and if you compare to, say, arguably Cardiff, West Brom, um, Swansea even, those games were games that where we had opportunities to win the game and take three points rather than just a point. Um but I was going to say that there was also a good stat Sky Sports put up uh, as the as the game ticked towards the last 10 minutes. It said Leeds haven't conceded a single goal in the first 75 minutes of the game, um, but they've conceded now four goals from 76 to 90. They played Swansea last week or the week before. Uh, home absolutely battered Swansea and Swansea scored last minute winner. Uh, Did win uh, Forrest score late there as well? Early yeah. this season, I think. Yeah, that was a one-all draw, wasn't it? So again, that's maybe... that. They obviously press high. We know how Bielsa plays. Uh, we've seen that so many times last season and we know that it's effective. But then if you can't do it for 90 minutes and you're not putting teams away because Bamford is not is taking four or five chances to score one goal, then what happens? Like You end up get, losing games or drawing games that you should be winning. Um, and I think Derby sticking in there was credit to them. I still don't think we played very well, but I think uh, Leeds have got a serious problem there. The first goal, you know, not a huge amount to pick out there, really. Set piece, standard. Calamitous defending in the box, standard. Goes in off Max Lowe in the end. It's a half-decent save from 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 Ruse, from um, Stuart Dallas, who loves scoring against us, by the way. Um, not, but not yesterday, though. Could, uh, could Ruse have done a bit better? I'm loath to, to bring it up, because we have been accused of being a bit... Uh, of giving him undue pelters this season. Um just pick apart that goal, coach. I, I don't think uh, I don't think we've given him undue pelters, but I, w- I wouldn't give him any pelters for for that goal. I think he, he made a block. You know, the ball's bouncing around the area. No one's got hold of it properly. No one's cleared the danger, and he, he's made he's made a save. And it's really unlucky for Max Lowe because I think Max Lowe's half on the turn to turn around, and as he turns around, it just kind of ricochets off his foot and goes into the corner of the net. So yeah, we didn't defend the set piece properly, which, as we said, you know, is an ongoing problem for the last year and a half. Derby are scrambling around in the box. When that ball comes in, um, they haven't dropped as a unit, and as a result, it's sort of a touch and go offside. I think he was, uh, I think he was onside for the record. But um, there were certainly Leeds players, the wrong side of the Derby players. When the ball comes back across the box, the Derby players are all over the place. There's five or six of them in the box, and actually, Roos stands big. Uh, the, the strike comes in, in and hits him, uh, and it's a good block. Unfortunately, it then hits Max Lowe and then rolls into the bottom corner. Um, 
I think uh, maybe a similar goal I think Derby conceded against Forest a few years ago so it's again as you say it's something that's been happening time and time again where we're Ball's going to the box and we don't look like we're dealing with it. The problem is we should be we should be sort of better at defending set pieces because we've got quite a big team now. If you think about uh, Clark is good in the air, Keogh's good in the air, you know, Huddleston's not great in the air but he's a big presence. Bellick is obviously uh, meant to be a centre-back by trade. Scott Malone's a very tall um, left-back and Mark Wagon does a dec- half-decent job normally uh, in, in our own penalty box from corners. So there's no excuse for it really. Like they, They've got the... They've got the team to be able to defend set pieces properly. In the past, we have had quite a small team, but that's not the problem at the moment. So I don't know who's responsible for it. Is it Shay Given who's responsible for organising the defence at set pieces? Is it other members of the coaching staff? But whoever's doing it is not doing their job very well. So what is... I mean, what is... It's such a difficult one to analyse. What is the secret of defending set pieces effectively? Is it, like, communication and making sure everyone holds their shape? Is it uh, analysing the opposition more and working out how, you know analyzing their previous games and trying to work out how they're going to work set pieces is it like is it a physicality thing is it players not being strong enough or tall enough or quick enough I think it's a mixture of all of those things you've got to look at the uh, the opposition you're playing um, and you've also got to consider what you do but I think it's also practice um, and it comes down to the fact that if you as a unit can drop defensively to attack the ball in the right position and you do that time and time again on the, on the training field you'll eventually get to a point where you, you successfully defend set pieces we don't win the first ball and then when we don't win the first ball we're all over the place and no one knows what to do to try and win that second ball and it, it looks like a complete scramble every time it goes into the derby box the last time derby looked good at set pieces gary Vowett, which yeah. which is interesting because we talked i remember on the podcast a couple of years ago about how derby defended we allowed crosses to come into the box um and we got everyone in the box and we won that first header and that's what we were doing and that came from practice and being drilled on the training ba- training ground i also think and again not wanting to bang on about keller Roos, but i think someone like scott carson's probably a miss in those situations he is he is a he's not a commanding goalkeeper in a sense he comes for everything but he's organized i imagine he gives the back four and defensive unit a lot of confidence keller definitely doesn't instill confidence in his back four the way that he kind of comes and goes for the balls when he shouldn't come or he should stay um and obviously curtis davis was obviously a big presence in that gary rowett side as well so i think it's it's organization first which comes from the training ground it's desire to beat your man and to win your individual duel and i think probably the goalkeeper is also very key to it as well so part of it is just personnel really having the right players in at the right time yeah but i think apart from again apart from keller i think we have got the the personnel to be defending set pieces a lot better but whatever is happening on the training ground or not happening on the training ground uh, isn't working the penalty that Leeds got in the second half, which should have put Derby to bed, really, if not before. Weirdly, I think someone mentioned that it was a penalty which meant that we've had a penalty in every one of our league games this season, which we don't think is true, but it's not far off. It's almost every game apart from Brentford and Bristol City, I think. Yeah. Correct us if we're wrong, but we have had a freakish amount of penalties in games this season. This was another one. Sort of a classic Patrick Bamford winning of a penalty really it doesn't take much encouragement to go down but the attempted at defending from Matt Clark after he's been nutmegged is pretty clumsy and from Scott Malone to be fair Malone comes around the other side and then Malone does does kick him yeah. and Clark pulled him back beforehand and then I don't think there's any contact between the legs of Clark and Bamford before he goes down but Bamford sticks his, sticks his backside out and Clark runs into him. For me, it's an absolute stonewall penalty. We can have no complaints. Um, the defending isn't good enough from Clark and it wasn't supported well enough by Malone. Uh, and Bamford has every right to go down. And I know he's been accused of diving in the past, but that's not a dive, that's a penalty. 
He went. He went down easy in the first half as well, which was um, which was actually almost in the exact same spot where he tried it on against Richard Keogh in the playoff semi final uh, last season. But no, Tom. Tom's right. I mean, I think I think it's softer than what Tom's saying, but I think it was a penalty as Scott Malone definitely does kick him. I don't think Clark makes any contact at the, at the back of him, uh, and that's when Bamford goes down. But it's irrelevant. It it was a penalty. Yeah, it looked like the game should could and should have been out of sight. One of the players you mentioned there before, Kutch, was Bielik, who was hooks off after about an hour. Um, not a tactical thing, just didn't play very well by all accounts. Um, what what was he doing wrong against Leeds? Well, I personally, I don't. Yeah, he didn't have he didn't have a great game. Uh, I struggled to pinpoint one player that did have a good game. Probably Max Lowe was probably the standout for me uh, as as a solid player. But Bielik, I don't think he quite knows his role yet or Koku hasn't quite defined his role yet is he meant to be the more defensive one out of him and Huddleston are they meant to be kind of side by side of Bellick pushing on he did have one or two runs where he did get forward but he doesn't always seem in complete control of the ball I think Bellick as well is probably he has got the ability to play he has got the ability to turn and to run and take the ball out and and Koku was really encouraging the Derby team to do that none of them did it very well like we we were completely pinned in by Leeds and Cockley said after the game that he was telling the players to keep playing keep playing from the back it wasn't working and you know that Leeds are going to press you well you've got to come up with a better plan or something new as a get out I think there were some great videos when Norwich City beat Manchester City last week of man of Norwich beating the press playing around the press Derby didn't seem to have a clue how to do that or have an idea of how to do that. All they knew is they wanted to do it and Bailick wasn't adding anything to that endeavour, to be honest. And, and, but neither did Huddleston. I, I just think um, neither Bailick or Huddleston uh, were offering themselves in the midfield. So when we were being pressed back, the ball kept going sideways. So it would go from Keogh to Lowe, back to Keogh, to Roos, to Clark, to Malone, back to Clark, and then we'd lose it. There needed to be someone either down the wings or someone receiving that ball you need to push through the line, so through that press and into into centre midfield. And there were one or two times that Holmes offered, and he managed to turn. He then lost the ball going forward. We gave it away, um, but that was the only time we actually successfully and effectively beat that press. Now you mentioned Norwich; the way that they did it was, yes, okay, we're going wide, but then we're coming back into the middle and yeah. then back wide, Triangles. and it was one touch quick football. But Derby was slow on the ball, and then any time we were quick on the ball. The, the pass was behind the player. So as a result, it slowed down the move. Um, and that was the problem I found with Derby yesterday. The passing was predictable. Um, it was really clear and obvious where you could watch where Derby were going and you could see that Leeds were just onto them the whole time. Uh, Roos gave the ball away about sort of 25 minutes in, I think. And um, it tried to pass the ball out to, to Malone and the Leeds players were just swarming. There were six players. He won it by about five yards. yards. Yeah. Comfortable and it wasn't well. It was Roos's poor pass, but it wasn't necessarily Roos's mistake. It was the fact we were faffing around with the ball at the centre back. What are we doing? We need to get the ball out of the danger zone and then into the mid midfield and then out wide as quickly as possible. That's how you beat that press. When we did get it out wide, that moment of sheer ecstasy and beauty towards the end of the game. It looked like it should have been should have been gone, as I said. But uh, wow, it's 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 2019 and we're talking about Chris Martin again. What what a world we live in. I mean fantastically taken goal but the build-up is great as well we we watched it again before recording the uh the space that low gets down the right on his wrong foot then fizzes in that low ball on on his right hell of a touch from patterson as well like martin will get the credit but patterson does so well in the build-up having come on a sub uh like gets the ball in steps over it like lets the ball do the work almost yeah. And then he's, you know, he's under pressure. He's got Martin on his left shoulder on the overlap. Just that little perfectly weighted little dink through to him. And then, well, the rest, 
was Chris Martin rolling back the years uh, like a, a vintage fine wine, getting better with age. Um, what a finish. What a moment. What, what a goal. Absolutely brilliant stuff. He, he takes it so quickly, doesn't he? And he, he, he opens his body up, which was, you know, that was classic Chris Martin from the kind of 2014 days. It gets his body open in, inside, of his, uh, inside of his right foot and just places it into that corner. And you're, you're right to give a lot of credit there to Max Lowe, not just uh, putting the ball in, but the way he, he, he exploited that space down the right wing. It's probably the only time he really got the ball in the opposition half, probably, in, in the whole match, to be honest. Um, kept the ball in really well and, and played it in. And, and what's really good, great from... Chris Martin is the way that he exploits that space around Patterson. He knows where the space is. He knows he can see, he can visualise how the defence is moving, and 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 that's where that's the only place he can get a shot off. And and Patterson puts it on the plate for him, and he takes it so quickly. I think that's probably what takes the goalkeeper by a bit of surprise. He just just rolls it into the into the far corner. It was I, I was absolutely bounced up and down my lounge. Yeah, it was a, a really impressive finish. The way he runs around Patterson to actually get onto his right foot, because the the natural thing to do would have been to go around Patterson and to strike it left footed. And actually, he, yeah, as you say, he opens his body up nicely. I'd actually go back to before Maxlow, and I think the the movement from uh, Jason Knight, I think, in centre midfield to receive the ball and then ping the ball out to to low. The speed of movement and the speed of the pass really created that. And that's precisely what we weren't doing in the first half and didn't do for the previous 91 minutes before that time. And we we cut leads apart. And it's the only time we did it. And it was because the passes were crisp um, and first time. And we, we really tore them apart. And low, fantastic ball in uh, with his right foot. And he looks like he's going to uh, really develop this season. I'm looking forward to Bogle being back and low being on the left flank. Philip, Philip Koku said after the game... We kept believing that we could score, and when we did score, you saw what it meant to the fans. We have to use this boost going into our next game. Uh, we asked you guys on Twitter as well for your reactions in five words to that result. Some terrific uh, responses, about three quarters of which involved the word wardrobe. Uh, Craig Nash came in with wardrobe scene mugging off leads. Uh, Patrick tweeted us with uh, get out of jail free uh, Stefan Broom got in touch on Twitter he said papering over the evident cracks Stephen Ollie, going slightly off subject Chris Martin has lovely hair <laughs> <laughs> does. Uh, it's true yeah it's not, it's not a lie Chris yes <laughs> lustrous isn't it what's, it, what's his conditioner um, answer that later I wouldn't, I wouldn't know uh, Th- <laughs> Theo tweeted us Chris Martin is the goat um, Dan Charles came in with once again we've shit out Leeds and uh, Ben Taylor the best the best saving the best for last he tweeted us with the wardrobe returns from purgatory so uh, yeah plenty of bemused ecstatic delighted reactions there Kutch yeah it's was, it was just great to see uh, Twitter so positive and um, excited about a Derby County result it's probably the first result this season where you saw that real um pride in, in the shirt pride in the club even though we didn't play that well you know to get a last minute equaliser again at that end again at Allen Road was just was just lovely to see and what I really liked about you know Chris Martin Max Lowe's involvement as well those players weren't involved in in this derby team last season they didn't have their Allen Road moment that's their Allen Road moment if that if that if that event can kick start I generally think it could these two draws have just picked up Cardiff and Leeds could really kick the season on. It could give a little bit more feel-good factor, could get people believing the project again. Um, and it's just a great way for Chris Martin to announce his uh, his, uh, his arrival back at he, uh, Pride He laps it up, doesn't he? Like, the celebration was the celebration of a guy who's already banged in 15 goals a season, not someone who's only scored 
his first goal for Derby in almost two years. Um, he's just that sort of player, isn't he? Like he loves being the focal point, loves the attention, loves getting grief off opposition fans. I think. I think that just. Uh, I think that spurs him on, to be honest. And it's not completely different sort of, uh, you know, personality to Marriott and Waghorn, really. But it will bring the question around again, Tom. Like, is is he an option? Is can how big a part can he play this season? Where does he fit in for you? Um, yeah, Koku clearly clearly likes him. Um, you saw the reaction of Koku as the goal went in. He celebrated like a like a madman, which you don't often see from Koku. Well, we haven't seen that. And then at the end of the game, there was uh, images of him like giving Martin a massive bear hug, which I think Martin deserved. He he came on yesterday and. He was a focal point for us, as you said. He there was clearly some sort of abuse or something going on to him. Maybe some booing. Maybe just generally at Derby from the celebration of the cup deers behind the goal. Um, but it really spurred him on. It, it drove him on to to cause havoc in that Leeds defence. They weren't able to deal with him. And if he can play like that, of course he's an option. And I think I quite like to maybe see him, Marriott, and Waghorn as a front three. I don't know how it would quite work. Um, in terms of positions and and shape and how that would affect the midfield, but at the moment we haven't got any wingers that you go, yeah, they're they're knocking down the the uh, cocku's door for a start. I know Patterson did well yesterday, um, but he was playing more centrally. So if we haven't got any wingers who are deserving to play, why not play those three? I mean, it's a real dilemma because I think I know Martin did really well as the focal man in a in a in a three under McLaren. Um, and call call me you know ridiculous, but I think. His attributes combined with Marriott's attributes on paper could be a partnership that could work well. But the thing is with that, if you're playing them as a two, you're going to probably end up playing uh, two wider attacking players. And I don't think we have the resources really for for proper traditional wide men whipping in crosses at the moment. Uh, Lawrence doesn't do it naturally. Waghorn doesn't do it naturally. Yosef Soon doesn't do anything naturally um so with that it's it's trying to fit him in and I think I guess maybe at the moment he is an impact sub really I think that's where I see him what about you coach I think what he's done is he's put himself in the conversation he's making us have this serious debate and Koku by getting him fit and getting involved making us have a serious debate because a couple of weeks ago we kind of said it and sniggered about the idea that Chris Martin could play any role any meaningful role for us this season well we dismissed it we completely said look yeah. he's, he's had minutes he scored for the 23s he's scored a nice free kick whatever but he's just getting fitness to get a move that's how all of us saw it so it's it's, it's a massive shock but a, a really a really pleasant one I kind of tweeted yesterday half jokingly that this is Chris Martin's world and uh, Waghorn and Marriott just going to compete to partner on top of a diamond and I kind of was half joking but I do feel when people have mentioned it before that we haven't got any wingers we haven't got any good wingers. You just talked about the options there, and they're not, they're not good enough. Um, the whip for me will come need to come from our fullbacks. So when Jaden Bogle's back, we've got a, a massive outlet on the right wing, and hopefully Max Lowe can can nail down the left side to offer whip on that natural whip on that side. For me, it's a strews out between the three strikers for a, a two up top. With then you've got options to play uh, Tom Lawrence possibly behind Dwayne Holmes possibly there. Um, Patterson could could compete for that role as well and you've got the midfield options behind for me the strength in this team is three, three, two very good strikers and one striker that possibly could be coming back into some form Do you know what I perhaps see Derby doing in the future uh, a five at the back with Bielik being the sort of uh, almost sweeper. a sweeper sort of in front and then also behind the defence at the right time low left wing back Bogle right wing back both of them athletic both of them like getting forward their natural game is to to attack 
rather than perhaps being uh, sort of like ordinary fullbacks, if that makes sense. Um, then three in centre midfield and two up top. So I can see that there's a there's potential if and when Bogle gets back to fitness that we could be playing five at the back, especially if Bielik wants to play centre back himself, but Koku clearly wants him to to have have an influence in the game, and he sees that more in centre midfield. If he gets a sort of central centred back pit where he gets a bit of a free roll, he can go out and close down the midfield um, and support support the the gaps between defence midfield I think that would really work for Derby I think that's where our personnel is as you say the wingers we haven't got wingers who are putting enough in there I think Holmes Lawrence would then be good in central midfield for him I think Tom's proposal of a, of a 5-3-2 is, is actually very similar to a kind of a diamond where if Bellic was the base of the diamond it's almost the same if you're giving the licence to the fullbacks to get forward and then with three midfielders ahead and, and two strikers so I, I definitely want I definitely would like to see uh, Cocker explore the two striker option more Rams chats in a second. Uh, if you enjoyed the pod, don't forget to subscribe, of course. Hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on SoundCloud, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to give us a cheeky follow on social as well. We are at Steve Bloomer Pod on Twitter. We're on uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. Just search for Steve Bloomer's Washing. And uh, more in a sec. Hi, I'm Paolo Wanchop and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Richard, what are your two favourite things to do at the football? Um, shouting. Apart from that? Swearing. Apart from that? Drinking? Yes. Anything else? I do enjoy, actually, a very cheeky bounce. Perfect. In that case, you'll love the latest one-off brew from Derby Brewing Company, Bounce IPA. It's a light, refreshing, dry-hopped Rams-themed ale with Centennial to add citrus zing to this classic IPA. Available now in all Derby Brewing Company pubs. Mine's a pint, boy. You alluded to it earlier, Kutch, about how that Leeds result could be a turning point in this season. I don't really want to have to talk about turning points in mid-September. It seems crazy already, but the facts are we've only won once on the very first game of the season. And I mean, against Leeds, we didn't win and we were really, really lucky to get anything from that game. We could have, uh, you know, we could have lost three or four nil, been several down at half time. But at the end of the day, we've gone away to a team who would have been desperate to, to do us over, desperate for revenge. Uh, you can't underestimate that. Gone away to a team who've only dropped five points all season before this game, who are deservedly top of the league. We've faced that onslaught and we've taken something. And I just think that it could be that game that just gives us confidence, that, that reminds the players that they can compete, that they can go to the hardest away grounds in this division and get something that will give the squad players confidence and just a bit of cohesion after all those games we should have won and got something from. Do you agree? Do you think this is the do you think this could be a key moment in the season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, we've only won one match. We've only lost two matches, which isn't bad either. And uh we all said at the start of the season we had a ridiculously hard um opening ten matches and we've just come out of the Leeds and the Cardiff and Leeds games, two of the toughest matches this season with with two points. So, you know, a point away at Leeds is 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 a good point. However it came, obviously we were disappointed not to win against Cardiff, but you know, again, point isn't a bad result against Cardiff. 
And now I think this is really where we hopefully will see Derby kick on. Like I, think, I think we will do. I think we have shown that we can play good football. We can create chances against teams, um, particularly at home. Like We've been very unlucky not to pick up a couple of wins at home, in my opinion. So let's, let's see if Koku can do the thing that a lot of Derby managers have struggled with and beat the teams that we're expected to beat. It's, um, it's obviously football is, is done on the pitch, but you always look on paper, don't you? And as you say, we've had a very tough uh, start. Those first eight games, we're playing a lot of the promotion contenders. Arguably, the next big game, tough game we play is, is Middlesbrough at home on the 2nd of November. And that Middlesbrough team isn't the same Middlesbrough team of the last couple of years. But we've got some very winnable games. We've got Barnsley and Luton, two promoted sides uh, at the beginning of October. Uh, then, in fact, Charlton as well in October. Wigan at home. Those are games which, on paper, Derby should be getting points away from home, winning games uh, at home as well, maybe even taking three points away. So I think you're right. This is a real, this is the this is turning point of the season in the sense that that's the tough start. And it was always going to be a tough start up until this point. And then if we can hang in there and be in a position where we're starting to gel as a, as a unit, and there are some signs of that uh, at times, the next sort of eight or nine games for me are absolutely crucial. That defines our season. Do we push on and maybe compete for playoffs or are we going to be stuck in the mid-table or potentially a relegation scrap? I'm going to try and say it basically every podcast. Just stay mid-table till Christmas, then Rooney-inspired playoff charge, second half of the season. That is the plan. Uh, Cardiff, though, at home... Another frustrating draw for um, for Derby at Pride Park. We had more than enough chances to win that, didn't we? Easily. That penalty that wasn't given on, on Waghorn, that looked like a penalty to me. Uh, Marriott crashing one off the crossbar. Waghorn having that, that one-on-one, which was quite a difficult chance to take. Tom Lawrence had a chance as well. That cross that came in, he just about got goal-sided a defender and put it over the bar. But really, Tom, a, a tale of two penalties again. Um, both that should have been given as wasn't theirs was um, another another game that we should probably should have taken three points from uh, yeah I'd agree and the fact that uh, Cardiff City manager Colin watch him call it uh, said after the game that wasn't a penalty for me or the referee had a great game of course that means it was a penalty Raghorn gets into the box he's taken out um, I'm not quite sure how the referee hasn't seen it he's got a very clear view Cardiff go down the other end ball comes into the box and yeah Keogh pulls back the lad I think it was Glatzer uh, who then took the penalty and scored it both of them were penalties and as you say Cardiff was given and Derby's wasn't if Derby's was given we score 2-0 I don't see Cardiff coming back to that and I think it'd be a very different conversation and Derby with a few, few points further up the league um, but as it was it wasn't given we've got to get on with things yeah, I thought it was a really impressive performance, actually, and we were unlucky not to uh, take the three points. I thought what it was good about it was Cardiff, uh, we know how Cardiff want to play. They play very direct. Koku made a lot of comments about it himself after the game, so it wasn't his type of football. It was kind of a little dig there at uh, the Penguin Man. don't think it's anyone's type of football, is it? <laughs> no, it's definitely Neil Warnock's type of football. Bleak to watch. Um, and But what was good about Derby and Koku's approach to the game was, that they, although we didn't win the game, but we, we beat their style of play. We were the better team. We did create more chances. We, we, we controlled the vast majorities of the game. And, and if you if you can do that against Cardiff, there's a, there's a number of other teams in this division who do play a similar way, but not as well and not as effective. So it shows to me that Derby should be equipped to deal with those challenges future in the, in the season. Yeah, I, I do agree. I think we, we did look good going forward. I think it's probably the best that I've seen Derby go uh, going forward this season. Um, my one concern is that although Cardiff didn't have much possession, they had a lot of good chances. And yes, they scored that penalty, but we, we didn't look particularly secure at the back in that in that game. And arguably, even if you compare to the Leeds game as well, Leeds obviously had lots of good chances uh, yesterday. 
that's that's maybe our concern where Leeds had lots of possession and therefore wore us down but Cardiff didn't have that much possession but still created loads of chances now how do we hold a team comfortably and look comfortable because we didn't look comfortable against Leeds and we obviously weren't comfortable against Cardiff when they went forward on us so we've maybe still got some defensive issues in there um, which could come back to haunt us the thing that I did enjoy is uh, Scott Malone just popping up in the in, in the middle of the area for, for no reason basically like he has every 10 games or so he'll have just a random foray into the six yard box mm-hmm. when he like he did it against Wigan last season uh, when he when he got the winner in that game um, got on the end of a scrappy move for the goal against Cardiff and he's a bizarrely unlikely occasional goal threat but anyway so yeah another frustrating draw and uh, away from on the field matters there was a, a pr- pretty fruity statement put out by uh, by a club this week in response to um, Steve Gibson's uh, ongoing bitching about uh, this that and the other Middlesbrough are planning to sue the English Football League for allegedly failing to uphold their financial rules with regards to uh, Derby's purchase of Pride Park. Um, I did have that feeling of, 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 of dread when I saw the tweet with the uh, the simple those, the club statement. Well, I didn't have the picture of the corner flag of doom, did it? So mm-hmm. you know that it, it, it wasn't going to be an absolute disaster. The Derby statement basically said um, the stadium was subject to an independent valuation, 18 months ago, the EFL indicated in writing that, um, that that was okay and in accordance with the regulations. The EFL can't now suggest that Derby broke any rules. And then some really passive-aggressive language here. The club regrets that Middlesbrough Football Club have said that they're suing the EFL, but that is a matter for them. <laughs> you can just sense the rage from Mel Morris in that, can't you? And then they've gone on to say um, that Derby offered to show Middlesbrough the books. Borough declined. Um, the outcome can't now affect us because we've already had it in relation to the financial results had them approved by the EFL uh, and the club is solely focused on the current season and it just won't go away really really this bizarre issue um, I don't think anyone's denying that what we've essentially done isn't the most ethical of of situations but there's no rules against it as far as any, anyone can tell and um, I don't think Middlesbrough have really been able to prove otherwise. Yeah, it's interesting because Derby took a while to respond to that story. When when Middlesbrough announced, it was a couple of weeks ago now, that Steve Gibson and Middlesbrough announced that they were going to sue VFL over this. And, you know, Derby took their time in issuing this statement. They obviously went away and thought about it, but did their homework, uh, probably had some conversations with the EFL to clarify whether or not the EFL could go back and kind of retrospectively review again Derby's accounts for the season question, as they said, they, those accounts have already been approved. So obviously Derby believed that there's no way back, you know, there's no way to kind of reverse an approval of accounts. The EFL are investigating those sales though, not just Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, Reading, there's a similar thing, more um, exactly the same thing uh, from what I understand, maybe just different valuations of, of the stadiums. Um, so the fact that EFL are looking into it is a little bit concerning, but you'd expect if Derby are right in what they say that they can't be retrospectively punished after the accounts have already been approved by the EFL, you'd think that the EFL investigation might be more around the fact-finding mission to see how they need to change the rules in the future so they don't get into this in, into this problem again. Tom, do you think Derby needs to be worried about anything here or is it just a case of uh, giving Steve Gibson some sauce for that massive chip on his shoulder? <laughs> uh, I, I don't necessarily think we have to be worried about this particular situation. It does make me feel a bit in, uneasy about the club and the future uh, financial sort of 
situation for them. Um, do we need to get into the Premier League in order to be uh, financially sustainable in the future? Um, that's That would be my concern. Derby haven't responded to that statement uh, about Middlesbrough suing the EFL uh, immediately because they don't need to. They're not suing Derby and it's to do with Derby, but it's the EFL. Like, we don't need to make a comment. And what Steve Gibson, I think, is trying to do there is to try and make Derby make that comment to try and bring it into the press. And Derby have ignored it. And then they've gone, right, here you go. This is what we're saying. We, are, we haven't got any worries about this. Can we continue? It is, a, it is a bizarre one for Steve Gibson to suit the EFL because Millsborough are a member of the EFL. You know, he's almost suing part of himself there. Uh, so it's, it's a bit weird. I mean, look, the stadium sale, I, I said it on the pod you know, a few weeks, a few months ago. Um, I don't like it. I don't like the fact we don't own our own stadium. I do believe that Mel Morris has the club's best interests at heart and, and, and I, I do trust him. But it doesn't take much for that situation to change. There was rumours about a sale. It seemed like it was a load of rubbish. The guy, uh, the former Liverpool owner's son. But it does raise a question that when you do, when Mel Morris does attract investment to the club or does want to sell the club, like, where's, well, how's the stadium going to be involved in that? Does the stadium get handed back to the, the, new, the new owners? Does it get back into the club? Does it stay with Mel? Uh, it's not a good situation. It's, there's no good outcome from studying your stadium. It's messy, isn't it? But at the moment, it seems to be law-abiding. Uh, speaking of Stadia, I've got one hell of a new game for you both. You, ex- you excited for this? I-, I am excited. I think it's time to... Uh, that was all a bit too serious for my liking, so we need to uh, take it down a notch. Um, we love a little cheeky bit of trivia on Steve Bloomer's washing related to Derby County. Um, I think we've, we've done 30-plus Who Ramites now, I think, in, in the history of our 60-plus podcast. So it's time to evolve. You know, you got you got to you, you got to change. You got to move with the times. So I have slightly adapted this game. It's no longer who am I, but where am I? <laughs> the answer is in a pub, a championship away ground. Same format as before. I will give you clues. Jump in at any time. So twenty three to choose from. Yeah. Is that is that any championship ground that we've played at in the last ten years? I'll just say any. Championship ground. Okay. Current, um, current championship. Oh, no. any, any championship ground. Championship ground. Where am I? I am fifty-seven miles from Pride Park Stadium. Cutch. Britannia. The Britannia or the Bet Three Six Five Stadium. Sorry, Bet Three Six Five. As it's uh, more commonly known, is incorrect. Uh, Tom uh, Hillsborough. Hillsborough, home of Sheffield Wednesday, is. Incorrect. Clue number two. Derby have won here at this ground on two of their last six visits. Tom, Elland Road. Elland Road is incorrect. Cuts. London Road. Uh, London Road, Peterborough? Yeah. yeah. Niche shout. Um, Lovely shout. Peterborough, good ground. Peterborough <laughs> is... Good ground, good ground. Uh, is incorrect. Clue number three. The capacity of this stadium is 23,287. Is it still called this? Keepmote. Keepmote Stadium, Doncaster, is incorrect. I think the Keepmote is a little bit smaller than that. I'm going to stick with Yorkshire. I'm going to go Barnsley, Oakwell. Oakwell Barnsley is the right answer. Yes. (laughs) My remaining clues were the away end can hold up to 6,000. And Derby last won their 3 0 in December 2017 under Gary Rowett. Uh, Thoughts on that game? It's got got legs, hasn't it? 
I, I like the game, yeah. I was just thinking about the Barnsley game. And I seem to remember Andre Wisdom crossing in for Chris Martin scoring in the Boxing Day 2013. I yeah. was there, yeah. That was brilliant. That was a great uh, ball in. Less Chris fond memories in Paul Jewell's trip yes. there. In Horrible. One of the worst August or September days. 2008. Bank holiday weekend, August 2008. We lost. Two you nil. both almost got in a fight with some Barnsley fans at the train station. Big time. Almost got in a fight with some Derby fans. With each other. It, it, <laughs> in the away, it was an awful game. All it? the hallmarks of an away day classic, basically. <laughs> really um, got smashed in York. We drank so. a crate of Spitfire, though. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> Stayed at yours, didn't I? Yeah. Good times. More of that next time. <laughs> um, a couple of matters for any other business before the end of the pod. Big, uh, big Keezy, six hundred club appearances yesterday. Uh, what I mean, we 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 do touch on him every so often on the podcast because although I feel like the, the, the critics of Keogh have been fairly quiet mm. in, in, in yeah. recent weeks. Hasn't he hasn't dropped a massive clangor for a while. But even that even having said that, six hundred club appearances, um plays with country as well, playing in major tournaments, one hell of an achievement for a, a great leader, a great professional and uh, a great servant for Derby County. Yeah, I think he's I think he's been left alone a bit recently because the Twitterati appears to be more uh, intent on abusing Tom Lawrence at the moment. Um, absolute legend, as we said before. Club legend, I thought was great, you know, as well. Chris Martin gets that equaliser. Who's the first player to join him in celebration? Keezy. Mm. Yeah, the big boy. So uh, they're, they're two peas in the pod, those two. And uh, they're, having a, they're having a great time, I think, this season. <laughs> I think he's been a great servant and I can't say anything more than what Kutcher said. I'm looking forward to him playing for us for the rest of the season and then beyond. Uh, 700 games next. Fine words indeed. Um, I wanted to ask you both your gut feelings to seeing uh, Harry Wilson, Mason Mount and uh, Victor Morris banging in seven goals between them in the Premier League. What's your overriding emotion? Is it um, is it despair that they don't no longer play for us or, or pride that we helped make the players that they're currently becoming? No, pride, absolutely pride. I think Mason, everyone, you know, last season, everyone was going on about Jack Grealish in the championship. Mason Mount is going to get at least double the amount of England caps that Jack Grealish is going to get. Um, it highlights, obviously, our own problems this season, but uh, they deserve to be playing in the Premier League, and I think all three of them will go on to have very, very impressive Premier League careers. Tom, was the big question is, was Tamori's goal against uh, Wolves better than his volley for Derby against Norwich no. away last season? That, that goal against Norwich was fantastic. It Correct the crossbar. <laughs> it goes bang in the bar. I think the goalkeeper maybe is at fault. Yeah, any any goal that goes, goes in off the woodwork, especially the crossbar, yeah. is infinitely three or four times yeah. better than an equivalent goal. And also, wasn't Tamori on his wrong foot running away from goal, turns and a half volley yeah. and smashes it in? I mean, Tamori sort of like looks to cross or shoot the keepers at... It doesn't go in the top corner for tomorrow's one against Wolves. A keeper's caught off off guard, but it's a great strike. Um, it's a bit wistful, isn't it? It's like that was good last year. We had some great players and some fantastic individual moments through um, through last season. That like Wilson popping up and scoring that goal against uh, Southampton on Friday night. Like, yeah, he can finish that boy, can't he? And he scores so many goals wherever he plays. Under twenty threes for Liverpool. Hull, Derby, and now Bournemouth. And fair play to him. I hope he goes on and has a great career. Same for Mount and Tomori. Is there just a, a lingering feeling of disappointment that, that we didn't get promoted with those three in the team? Yeah, of course. We'd love to have got promoted. I think what everyone forgets about that is a lot of people seem to assume that if we got promoted, Frank Lampard would still be our manager. Definitely not. He would have still gone to Chelsea. <laughs> Chelsea would have wanted him. Yeah, nah. Absolutely. He, that's not... We've had this debate so many times before, we don't need to go over it again. But yes, he would have gone to Chelsea. I actually disagree with that, but I also think that... And we, wouldn't have, and we, wouldn't, we might have kept Harry Wilson, but he would have kept Tamori and Mount if he'd gone to Chelsea. Yeah, I, I think Lampard may well have stayed had we been promoted. It's all lifts and buts, but I do think that it shows how uh, 
that the, what's happening to Derby this season shows how much of an impact they were because the fact we only finished sixth with those guys mm. um, suggests to us that there are elements of this Derby team which we recognised last year which aren't as strong as they could be uh, and we do have a lot of weakness and taking three absolute quality players um, two now full internationals in, in Mount and Wilson uh, out of that side it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leave a big hole and that's why we're in the position of 18th and we're not sixth at the moment that phrase again papering over the cracks isn't it maybe they were maybe they weren't Well, that's it for now. That's it for our latest podcast. We're back in a couple of weeks. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to share. Richard, thanks to you. Cheers. Good luck tackling the rest of your hangover. Um, Thank you. And Tom, always enjoy having your company. All the best. See you again soon. Mm